In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. The collect of the day, the prayer for this fourth Sunday of Advent, is a prayer that Jesus Christ at his coming may find in us a mansion prepared for himself. Well, we take that literally at Grace Church as we have prepared the mansion for Jesus' arrival as a little baby on Christmas Eve at the Grace Church Christmas pageant. The mansion in this case is the stable, meant to resemble that stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and above it, the star, the light that leads us all to it. Thank you as you bear with us this in-between week in the midst of Christmas pageant rehearsals and preparation for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Perhaps it feels a bit like your home at this time of year, slightly chaotic, full of decorations you only get out of a box once a year, a bit wrinkled when you take them out or scuffed, and this year perhaps neglected for several years as we revive traditions that have been on hold during a pandemic. But isn't it also great buzzing with anticipation and the promise of something good this time of year, this fourth Sunday of Advent? As we spend time with our rickety old wood frame that is somehow both mansion and stable, and this particular one has hosted decades of Grace Church Christmas pageants, we hear this morning in the gospel story about Joseph, Mary's fiance. Matthew's gospel says, Joseph, being a righteous man, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. When you think about the Christmas story, Joseph is, of course, an integral part. You can't and wouldn't really tell the story without him. And yet, we don't get to know all that much about his character, who he is. In Matthew's Gospel, this is about all we learn about Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man, the text says. He was married to Mary. And much later in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus begins his public ministry in Nazareth, one man turns to another and says, is this not the carpenter's son. So we have these three facts about Joseph. We know that he was righteous, we know he was married to Mary, and we know he was a carpenter. We don't even know what eventually happens to him. The last story we hear about Joseph is when Jesus is 12 years old, and then he disappears from the gospel altogether, though Mary stays very present. And yet, we spend today, this Sunday before Christmas, in the stable, we spend today thinking about Joseph. What must this whole story have been like for him? 
Joseph was a righteous man. As a Jew, that means that he understood and followed the law. And the way engagement or betrothal worked back then, the law was very clear. Mary and Joseph must be faithful to one another in every way. And so when Mary became pregnant, what must Joseph, this righteous man, what must Joseph have thought? According to the law, this meant he could call for her death. Should not he do what the law required? Or should he do what he heard God tell him to do in this dream? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's a bit funny, if you think about it, that this is the story we teach children to reenact each year. The story that at its start introduces some pretty complicated adult themes. Paternity, fidelity, the messy realities of how families are created. And yet at the center of the story is the power of God as a child, as a little baby, to break through our adult worries about what is right or what is proper. What better way to try to understand this meaning than by pausing to hear the story told and retold by children? Christmas pageants always make me think of my own father, Bill Stroud. When I was growing up, my dad was the property manager of an Episcopal church in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And though my mother would later become a priest, when I was a kid, she was a stay-at-home mom. So it was because of my dad's job that I grew up in a house on the property of a church. And it is from that perspective, the daughter of a property manager, that I first came to know and love our Episcopal church. The church where I grew up, St. David's, was known far and wide very far and very wide for its Christmas pageants, plural. There would be three productions each year. That is how many they had to do to make sure there were enough seats for everyone to attend. But my father, as the property manager, was the one who had to turn around the church each Christmas Eve from a stable like this into a beautiful and stately church ready for the candlelit Christmas Eve service. Every year between about 5 and 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve, we were not eating a family dinner. Dad was instead on his hands and knees scrubbing sheep pee out of the carpet because we had live animals and a carpeted sanctuary. He was sweeping hay. He was tearing down the stable. It was not his favorite part of his job. In fact, Dad had a song that he would go around singing during Advent, and I will spare you the tune, but the title was, I hate the pageant, I really hate the pageant. <laughs> and believe me, there were some choice lyrics sprinkled throughout. 
it gives you a picture of my father. He can be a bit of a curmudgeon at times. And it was the pageant of all things that really brought that side out in him. But there is another Bill Stroud story that I think better gets at the heart of him. Years ago, he was in a car accident. A car stopped short in front of him and he slammed into it and then was rear-ended because of it, a perfect sandwich. And it was pretty minor, all things considered, but after everyone exchanged insurance info and he got back into the car, he realized he couldn't move his wrist. The shock of the whole thing, he hadn't felt that his wrist had slammed hard against the steering wheel, shattering the bones around his joint. It was a complicated and painful break. I remember the chaos this created in our house. Imagine a property manager unable to use his arm. It required surgery, not to mention fixing the car, insurance premiums going up, all the details that follow an accident that seems minor but has rippling consequences. And I remember especially my mother being very stressed. But my father, who can be such a curmudgeon at times, had an unlikely calm about this whole situation. I'm sure there's a blessing in all of this, he said. There is always a blessing. In thinking about this, I asked my father recently, did you ever figure out what the blessing was? And he said the whole thing gave him a chance to slow down. But my mother cut in. For me, she said, the blessing of this situation was realizing I have a husband who, despite his sometimes gruff exterior, is actually always looking for a blessing. It's a trait that, though we know little about Joseph, I think we can see from Joseph's actions, the way his life was playing out was not what he expected, but he looked for and followed the blessing, the promise of God as a baby, a child put into his care. When Jesus finally began his ministry, he taught the people to pray. Of course, we're very familiar with this. He taught them the Lord's Prayer. It begins, our Father, our Father. The Hebrew word that Jesus used, Abba, is really very intimate. It means something more like Papa or Daddy. And what did Jesus know of Papa or Daddy? He was never a father himself that we know of, and yet he clearly had a warm and intimate understanding of fatherhood. He understood the care and protection that a loving Papa offered. It was a blessing that was so good that he used it to describe the goodness of God. How could Jesus have known the goodness of a papa? How else but that he had a father who embraced the blessing of loving him and protecting him and raising him in the knowledge of God? And so though we don't know much about Joseph really or how much of a curmudgeon he could be at times, we do know something about the love he must have had for his family. 
This family, the central family of our Christian story, was, of course, a Jewish family. This is one of the few things we know about Joseph, his righteousness. And this righteousness was inextricably tied to his Jewishness. I have been thinking a lot lately about our Jewish friends and neighbors as we see and experience a rise in anti-Semitism in our country and a rise of threatening language and violence against Jewish people in public discourse. Just yesterday, a man was attacked in Central Park by someone yelling rude and abusive things toward Jewish people. As Christians, our faiths, Christianity and Judaism are inextricably linked. This season, we as Christians cannot forget that. We should not forget that. The author and Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel shared this story as he gave an address at a Catholic university many years ago, a story that explains a bit the connection between our faiths. He said, Abraham Heschel, the great Jewish rabbi and theologian of the last century, was once invited to speak at an ecumenical gathering of Christians. Rabbi Heschel said, we Jews await the coming of the Messiah. You Christians believe the Messiah has already come, but you await his coming again. In the meantime, we wait together. When the Messiah comes, Abraham Heschel continued, someone no doubt will ask him, have you been here before? Then Rabbi Heschel added, I hope to be standing right next to him so I can whisper in his ear, don't answer. <laughs> Advent is the season when we especially wait together, as we Christians wait again for Jesus to be born, for the Messiah to come again, but also for the first time. What does this require of us? It requires a kind of miracle. It requires the imagination to see this stable as a mansion. It requires the ability to carve out time amidst our busyness, to carve out space amidst our clutter, to carve out love from in and around all the real evil in our world. On Christmas, we will celebrate the love of God that is so warm and intimate that God actually became one of us to show us how to live for others. How do we make this stable into a mansion in order to do that? Or put another way, how will we show our desire to love God amidst the messiness of our lives? We are called by God to care for those whom God loves. That is 
by the way, everyone, every person you come across in this diverse and challenging city, it is not always easy. And our lives don't always go how we expect them to go. And we cannot always find a blessing in the terrible things that humans are capable of doing to each other. Certainly, Elie Wiesel knew that. And we know that when we see evil at work in the world. But we are called, as Isaiah says, to refuse the evil and choose the good. Practically, as we wait together in the stable, we are called to do the miraculous, to make this place a mansion. It makes sense then that it is Joseph we look to on this day in this time. A loving father, a faithful Jew, and a carpenter, perhaps a mansion maker. Today, God calls you not just to look for the blessings around you, but as Joseph was for Jesus and as my father was for our family, God calls you to realize that you have the power to be the blessing, to be the blessing for each other. Amen.